Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep. This week, an old French story called A Forest Betrothal by Erkman Chatrian. It's also a special dedication to my own betrothed, Joe, my partner of the last seven years. At breakfast last week, he got down on one knee and asked me to marry him, and I said yes. The story I'm about to read isn't quite so straightforward, but it is a beautiful tale of love and betrothal, with some heartbreak thrown in for good measure. I'll be reading part one this week and part two on next week's episode. If you can't wait to find out how it ends and you want to read it in the meantime, it's available for free online and you can Google it to find it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider showing your support by following it on Spotify or following on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This really helps because it can help get the podcast featured in each of those different apps as new and upcoming or however they put them in their app. Also, you can link to it or talk about it on social media. That really helps. I have an Instagram and Twitter account. Both of those are at Listen to Sleep. I'm getting a Facebook page going here slowly but surely too. Thank you to the hundreds of you who've started following along in these first couple months. Your feedback has been great, and I'm looking forward to adding new things and continuing this podcast in the upcoming months. And now, here's part one of A Forest Betrothal by Erkman Chatrian. One day in the month of June, 1845, Master Zacharias's fishing basket was so full of salmon trout, about three o'clock in the afternoon, that the good man was loath to take any more. For, as Pathfinder says, we must leave some for tomorrow. After having washed his in a stream, and carefully covered them with field sorrel and rowel, to keep them fresh, after having wound up his line, and bathed his hands and face, a sense of drowsiness tempted him to take a nap in the heather. The heat was so excessive that he preferred to wait until the shadows lengthened before reclimbing the steep ascent of Biggleburg. Breaking his crust of bread and wetting his lips with a draught of Rikavir, he climbed down fifteen or twenty steps from the path and stretched himself on the moss-covered ground under the shade of the pine trees, his eyelids heavy with sleep. A thousand animate creatures had lived their long life of an hour when the judge was wakened by the whistle of a bird, which sounded strange to him. He sat up to look around and judge his surprise. The so-called bird was a young girl of seventeen or eighteen years of age, fresh with rosy cheeks and vermilion lips, brown hair which hung in two long tresses behind her, a short poppy-colored skirt with a tightly laced bodice completed her costume. She was a young peasant who was rapidly descending the sandy path down the side of Beagleburg, 
a basket poised on her head, and her arms a little sunburned, but plump, were gracefully resting on her hips. Oh, what a charming bird. But she whistles well, and her pretty chin, round like a peach, is sweet to look upon. Mr. Zacharias was all emotion, a rush of hot blood, which made his heart beat, as it did at twenty, coursed through his veins. Blushing, he arose to his feet. Good day, my pretty one, he said. The young girl stopped short, opened her big eyes, and recognized him. For who did not know the dear old Judge Zacharias in that part of the country? Ah, she said with a bright smile, it is Mr. Zacharias Seiler. The old man approached her. He tried to speak, but all he could do was stammer a few unintelligible words, just like a very young man. His embarrassment was so great that he completely disconcerted the young girl. At last, he managed to say, Where are you going through the forest at this hour, my dear child? She stretched out her hand and showed him, way at the end of the valley, a forester's house. I am returning to my father's house, the Corporal Yeri Forster. You know him without doubt, Monsieur Le Juge. What, are you our brave Yeri's daughter? Ah, do I know him, a very worthy man. Then you are little Charlotte, of whom he has often spoken to me when he came with his official reports. Yes, monsieur, I have just come from the town and am returning home. That is a very pretty bunch of alpine berries you have, exclaimed the old man. She detached the bouquet from her belt and tendered it to him. If it would please you, Monsieur Seiler. Zacharias was touched. Yes, indeed, he said. I will accept it, and I will accompany you home. I am anxious to see this brave Forster again. He must be getting old by now. He is about your age, Monsieur Le Juge, said Charlotte innocently between fifty-five and sixty years of age. The simple speech recalled the good man to his senses, and as he walked beside her, he became pensive. What was he thinking of? Nobody could tell, but how many times, how many times has it happened that a brave and worthy man, thinking that he had fulfilled all his duties, finds that he has neglected the greatest, the most sacred, the most beautiful of all, that of love, and what it costs him to think of it when it is too late. Soon, Mr. Zacharias and Charlotte came to the turn of the valley where the path spanned a little pond by means of a rustic bridge, and led straight to the corporal's house. They could now see Yeri Forrester, his large felt hat decorated with a twig of heather, his calm eyes, 
his brown cheeks and grayish hair, seated on the stone bench near his doorway. Two beautiful hunting dogs with reddish-brown coats lay at his feet, and the high vine arbor behind him rose to the peak of the gabled roof. The shadows on the Rommelstein were lengthening, and the setting sun spread its purple fringe behind the high fir trees on Alpnock. The old corporal, whose eyes were as piercing as an eagle's, recognized Monsieur Zacharias and his daughter from afar. He came toward them, lifting his felt hat respectfully. Welcome, Monsieur Le Juge, he said in the frank and cordial voice of a mountaineer. What happy circumstance has procured me the honor of a visit? Master Yeri, replied the good man, I am belated in your mountains. Have you a vacant corner at your table and a bed at the disposition of a friend? Ah, cried the corporal, if there were but one bed in the house, should it not be at the service of the best, the most honored of our ex-magistrates of Stantz? Monsieur Seiler, what an honor you confer on Yeri Forster's humble home. Christine, Christine, Monsieur le juge Zacharias Seiler wishes to sleep under our roof tonight. Then a little old woman, her face wrinkled like a vine leaf, but still fresh and laughing, her head crowned by a cap with wide black ribbons, appeared on the threshold and disappeared again, murmuring, What? Is it possible? Monsieur le juge? My good people, said Mr. Zacharias, truly you do me too much honor. I hope, Monsieur le juge, if you forget the favors you have done to others, they remember them. Charlotte placed her basket on the table, feeling very proud at having been the means of bringing so distinguished a visitor to the house. She took out the sugar, the coffee, and all the little odds and ends of household provisions which she had purchased in the town. And Zacharias, gazing at her pretty profile, felt himself agitated once more. His poor old heart beat more quickly in his bosom and seemed to say to him, This is love, Zacharias. This is love. This is love. To tell you the truth, my dear friends, Mr. Seiler spent the evening with the head Forster, Yeri Forster, perfectly oblivious to the fact of Therese's uneasiness, to his promise to return before seven o'clock, to all his old habits of order and submission. Picture to yourself the large room, the time-browned rafters of the ceiling, the windows opened on the silent valley, the round table in the middle of the room, covered with a white cloth, with red stripes running through it. The light from the lamp, bringing out more clearly the grave faces of Zacharias and Yeri, the rosy, laughing features of Charlotte, and Dame Christine's little cap 
with long, fluttering streamers. Picture to yourself the soup tureen with gaily flowered bowl, from which arose an appetizing odor. The dish of trout, garnished with parsley. The plates filled with fruits and little meal cakes as yellow as gold. Then worthy Father Zacharias, handing first one and then the other of the plates of fruit and cakes to Charlotte, who lowered her eyes, frightened at the old man's compliments and tender speeches. Yeri was quite puffed up at his praise. But Dame Christine said, Ah, Monsieur Le Georges, you are too good. You do not know how much trouble this little girl gives us, or how headstrong she is when she wants anything. You will spoil her with so many compliments. To which speech Mr. Zacharias made reply, Dame Christine, you possess a treasure. Mademoiselle Charlotte merits all the good I have said of her. Then Master Yeri, raising his glass, cried out, Let us drink to the health of our good and venerated Judge Zacharias Siler. The toast was drunk with a will. Just then the clock, in its hoarse voice, struck the hour of eleven. Out of doors there was a great silence of the forest, the grasshopper's last cry, the vague murmur of the river. As the hour sounded, they rose, preparatory to retiring. How fresh and agile he felt! With what ardor had he dared, would he not have pressed a kiss upon Charlotte's little hand? Oh, but he must not think of that now. Later on, perhaps. Come, Master Yeri, he said. It is bedtime. Good night, and many thanks for your hospitality. At what hour do you wish to rise, monsieur? asked Christine. Oh, he replied, gazing at Charlotte, I am an early bird. I do not feel my age, though perhaps you might not think so. I rise at five o'clock. Like me, Monsieur Siler, cried the head forester. I rise before daybreak. But I must confess, it is tiresome all the same. We are no longer young. <laughs> bah! I have never had anything ail me, Master Forester. I have never been more vigorous or more nimble. And suiting his actions to his words, he ran briskly up the steep steps of the staircase. Really, Mr. Zacharias was no more than twenty, but his twenty years lasted about twenty minutes. And once nestled in the large canopied bed, with the covers drawn up to his chin and his handkerchief tied around his head in lieu of a nightcap, he said to himself, Sleep, Zacharias, sleep. You have great need of rest. You are very tired. And the good man slept until nine o'clock. The forester, returning from his rounds, uneasy at his non-appearance, went up to his room 
and wished him good morning. Then, seeing the sun high in the heavens, hearing the birds warbling in the foliage, the judge, ashamed of his boastfulness of the previous night, arose, alleging as an excuse for his prolonged slumbers the fatigue of fishing and the length of the supper of the evening before. Ah, Monsieur Siler, said the forester, it is perfectly natural. I would love dearly myself to sleep in the mornings, but I must always be on the go. What I want is a son-in-law, a strong youth to replace me. I would voluntarily give him my gun and my hunting pouch. Zacharias could not restrain a feeling of great uneasiness at these words. Being dressed, he descended in silence. Christine was waiting with his breakfast. Charlotte had gone to the hayfield. The breakfast was short, and Mr. Siler, having thanked these good people for their hospitality, turned his face toward Stantz. He became pensive as he thought of the worry to which Mademoiselle Therese had been subjected. Yet he was not able to tear his hopes from his heart, nor the thousand charming illusions which came to him like a latecomer in a nest of warblers. By autumn he had fallen so into the habit of going to the forester's house that he was oftener there than at his own, and the head forester, not knowing what love of fishing to attribute these visits, often found himself embarrassed at being obliged to refuse the multiplicity of presents which the worthy ex-magistrate, he himself being very much at home, begged of him to accept in compensation for his daily hospitality. Besides, Mr. Siler wished to share all his occupations, following him in his rounds in the Grinderwald and Entelbach. Yeri Forster often shook his head, saying, I never knew a more honest or better judge than Mr. Zacharias Siler. When I used to bring my reports to him, formerly, he always praised me, and it is to him that I owe my raise to the rank of head forester. But, he added to his wife, I am afraid the poor man is a little out of his head. Did he not help Charlotte in the hayfield to the infinite enjoyment of the peasants? Truly, Christine, it is not right. But then I dare not say so to him. He is so much above us. Now he wants me to accept a pension, and such a pension, one hundred florins a month. And that silk dress he gave Charlotte on her birthday? Do young girls wear silk dresses in our valley? Is a silk dress the thing for a forester's daughter? Leave him alone, said the wife. He is contented with a little milk and meal. He likes to be with us. It is a change from his lonesome city life, with no one to talk to but his old governess. 
Whilst here, the little one looks after him. He likes to talk to her. Who knows, but he may end up by adopting her or leaving her something in his will. The head forester, not knowing what to say, shrugged his shoulders. His good judgment told him there was some mystery, but he never dreamed of suspecting the good man's whole folly. Good night.